Welcome, friends, to this brand new edition of A Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry with Pastor Brad Abley. We're delighted that you've joined us today, and we've already been praying for you, that you would meet the Lord in a fresh, new way. We've also been praying that you would be changed and transformed into the image of Jesus by the power of His Word and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And now, let's resume our Know Your Faith series as we go through the entire Gospel of Luke, patiently, slowly, and verse by verse. Here's Pastor Brad. Well, very warm greetings to you, my dear friends. This is Pastor Brad Abley with the Heart After God Bible Teaching Ministry, a ministry that is designed to take you deeper into the Word of God. Let me just say this right now to you right away. I thank God for you. I do. I thank God for you. Now, I may not be able to see you. That's true. But I certainly have you in my heart. And my friend, I believe that is because of the love of God the Father for you expressed through me. It's the love of Jesus through me expressed to you. It is the love of God the Holy Spirit expressed through me to you. And I believe that our wonderful triune God wants you to know that, to be blessed by it, and to receive it so much so that his presence just changes your life. And I believe even with this greeting, my sense is that the presence of God is just moving uh, among those who are listening. And I'm I'm laughing because of the joy of the Lord, because I know that's how he is. I know he loves to surprise us. I know he loves to minister to us. And I am rejoicing with you, dear friend and loved one of God. Well, uh, we are in now part 66 of our wonderful series in the Gospel of Luke. What a joy to be able to personally to teach and preach through this wonderful gospel, but what a joy to be able to, to do it with you. What a joy for us all to be able to know our faith. That's the title of the series, the Know Your Faith series, and we have been digging and we're going to continue to dig deeply into the Gospel of Luke, such a unique gospel that was written by a Gentile, the only Gentile writer in the entire Bible, and he's writing to Gentiles as well. And Paul, as we see in the book of Acts, uh, primarily starting from Acts 16 to the end of Acts, Paul Luke was a part of the Apostle Paul's apostolic team. He traveled with Paul and Timothy and Silas and others. And so um, Luke is quite a unique individual who, Luke, who wrote not just the gospel of Luke, but he wrote the book of Acts as well, which I affectionately refer to as Luke part two, uh, because he really is continuing on with the work of Jesus in uh, the book of Acts. Well, we are in Luke uh, chapter 9, and we're going to look at verses 1, I'm sorry, verses 51 through 56. And before I give the title, I want to ask you a question, 
and then we'll pray before we get into the Word of God. And here's the question, my friend. How well do you know the love and mercy of God? How well do you know the love and mercy of God to you? But then how well are you moving in the love and mercy of God towards others, especially towards those who fail, maybe even yourself? How well do you move in his love and his mercy toward others? There's, there's a key aspect of this, and uh, we'll get into it in just a moment. But before we open up the word, of course, you know by now, uh, I always want to pray. Now, Father, I just bring your sons and daughters together with myself and then even for those that are listening out of curiosity or because someone suggested that they listen and that they don't yet know you, we ask for your kingdom to come and your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in all of our lives. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, not to miss one thing that you have for us, because your word is so, it's like nuclear spiritual power. It can absolutely, radically transform anyone with an open heart. And we're asking that you would do that now before we get into your word and before we go into the, in the rest of this message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. The love and Mercy of God, Part 1. That's the title of this message today, The Love and Mercy of God, Part 1. And I, I already know that it's going to be Part 1 because there's way too much to get into to try and accomplish in just one message. This topic, really, when you think about it, it covers the entire Bible. And so we ought to, we ought to try to, to absorb and understand as much as possible through the aid of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, Luke tells us when the days were approaching for his ascension. It's interesting that the Greek word approaching means to fulfill, to be fulfilled, and that is for his ascension. I find it fascinating that Luke doesn't say for his crucifixion, but he says for his ascension. <laughs> and what's great about that is Luke, and he is going to emphasize the cross of Jesus uh, through many chapters. And he already has emphasized his coming crucifixion. But I love that Luke looks past the crucifixion to the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. So there's the crucifixion, he's raised from the dead, and then he ascends back to the Father, which Jesus talked extensively about um, in prayer, in what is called the high priestly prayer in John 17. It's just a beautiful, beautiful chapter. And now he is in his session, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, and session. Session means he is seated at the right hand of God 
the Father, where he intercedes for you and for me, and where he rules the world spiritually. And um, that, that that's all I want to get into there. But so let's go back to verse 51. When the days were approaching or being fulfilled for his ascension, he was determined to go to Jerusalem. That word determined can be translated, he set his face. That is, he was uh, he was absolutely determined. This is a, a Hebrew figure of speech, a Hebraism, which means that he was fixed. He was focused on his death. <laughs> That's the only way to put it. He was determined to go to Jerusalem. And why did he go to Jerusalem? Because that is where he had to be crucified to fulfill prophecy. Imagine this, that Jesus knew what he knew from the beginning, where he was headed, and nothing was going to stop him from accomplishing his crucifixion. Yes, he was crucified at the hands of men, but he also said, I lay my, my own life down of my own accord. No one takes it from me. Isn't that amazing how God accomplishes his purpose through the workings of men, both good and evil? Well, he sent messengers on ahead of him, so be his disciples, and they went and entered a village of the Samaritans, to make arrangements for him. Verse 53, but they did not receive him. The Samaritans, that is this particular town, wherever it was, because he was traveling toward Jerusalem. Now I'll try to explain that a little bit more in just a moment. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? They were incensed. And Jesus said, he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. And they went on to another village. It is, it is interesting, isn't it, that James and John, who elsewhere are called the sons of thunder, uh, because of how, how, well, how harsh they could be. And here's a good example. Now think about it, my friends. It, Jesus had already finished reproving them for their hardness of heart and for their pride. Remember when they couldn't even cast this demon out of the, out of the boy, and yet right after that they were arguing over who was the greatest. You see, they're thinking only about themselves, not about Jesus whatsoever. And then that's when Jesus took the child and stood him, by himself and said, unless you're willing to humble yourself and become like this child, that is childlike faith, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. 
And then John said in verse 49, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he does not follow along with us. And Jesus said, don't hinder him, for he who is not against you is for you. Now, the very people that Jesus is trying to reach, remember, in fact, earlier in his ministry, you can read about it in John 4, Jesus had this dramatic encounter with a woman at the well in Samaria. She was a Samaritan woman. And in this encounter that he had with her, by the end of the conversation he had with her, she believed in him as the Messiah. She went to the men of the village. They came out and multitudes of them were saved. And so here it is. This would probably would have been a different town of Samaria. But here, <laughs> the disciples knew this. They witnessed the fact that there was a major turning among Samaritans to faith in Jesus. And yet, only some time later, these very men wanted to call down fire from heaven upon these Samaritans in this town who would not receive Jesus. Now, what's also interesting is they had witnessed many people refuse to repent of their sin, refuse to give their lives to Jesus. And for some reason, they didn't think to call fire down from heaven upon those people. Why is that? Well, it may be because they were Jews. They were fellow Jews, and these are Samaritans. And the Jews and the Samaritans hated each other, and that hatred went back for centuries. And the Samaritans claimed to believe in God, but they set up a rival temple, uh, not, of course, not in Jerusalem. They, they didn't believe most of the Old Testament, and they combined pagan practices with their worship. So the Jews saw these Samaritans as false believers, and the Samaritans then pointed the finger back to the Jews. And so it looks to me, my friends, like James and John allowed this, this simmering hatred for the Samaritans to blow up and to take personal offense for their Lord because they didn't receive him. Why? Because he was traveling to Jerusalem. And they resented Jerusalem because they viewed Jerusalem not as the real temple where God dwells. They viewed their own mountain, Mount Gerizim, as the true place of worship. This is, this is the exact issue that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. Now we need to come to the place, my friend, where was the love and mercy of God in the hearts of these two men that they witnessed in the life of Jesus over and over and over again? How is it 
that they could walk with the Messiah and see his grace and mercy, not just towards the Jews, but toward the Gentiles. I think of the man in the Gadarenes who was demon-possessed. Actually, there were two of them, and they were both delivered. They were Gentiles. Why is it that James and John grew so hard-hearted that they wanted to destroy the Samaritans? Did they not remember what Jesus said early in his ministry to Nicodemus? John 3, 16 and 17, for God so loved the world, that's everybody, Jew and Gentile alike, that he gave his only unique son so that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And then verse 17, for God did not send the Son into the world to condemn it, but that the world should be saved. They knew this, my friends. They knew the reason that Jesus came. So, again, we come back to the question. How is it that they did not move in the love and in the mercy of God? I'll tell you. The reason that they didn't is because they were self-righteous. You can see that going back a few verses before our main passage. They tried to prevent someone casting demons out. Why? Because they did not follow along with us, is what they said. They were arguing over who is the greatest. You, only a self-righteous person, a self-righteous man or woman would would get into an argument like that after a miserable failure and being rebuked by their own Lord. So how is it that they could not move in the love of mercy of God? It's because of their self-righteousness. And at the root of self-righteousness is pride. Pride causes us to think that we are better than we are, it causes us to look down at others, and it, and it closes our eyes to the love and the mercy of God that we need ourselves. You see, my friend, when you live, you know, we have a saying here in the United States, there but for the grace of God go I. I often say, to myself, why did God have mercy on me and enabled me to give my life to Jesus while, while people who are driving up and down the busy freeway or the streets or so many people are outside of a relationship with Jesus? How is it that he saved my soul back in 1980, 1981? I don't understand it all. But to this day, more than 40 years later, I am grateful to God for my salvation. I am grateful to God that he forgives me of my sin every single time that I ask him. I'm grateful to God that he forgives me. Then how could I possibly refuse to forgive somebody who has sinned against me, who has offended me, 
or I think it's Colossians, maybe it's Ephesians. I, I I'm not. Paul urges us to forgive someone that even if we have a complaint against them. And so how could I not extend the love and the mercy of God to someone else when I desperately need the love and mercy of God for myself every moment of every day? But you see, my friend, if our heart is so hard, that we can't see how desperately we need the love and the mercy of God for us, for ourselves, we are not going to give that love and mercy out to others. Now, what a major turnaround happened in the lives of James and John. You know, you see John becomes the, the apostle of love. He writes about love so much in 1st John and then in 2nd and 3rd John we see how John had been changed from from being without love and mercy to having extraordinary love and mercy James says the same thing if you read the epistle of James you'll find that that the holy spirit changed these men dramatically are you willing to be changed you see, my friend, God loves you too much to allow you to remain the way you are. He wants to He wants to cause you to be more like Jesus and to set you free from, from besetting sins, from being defensive, from reacting to a man or a woman who is settled, surrendered, and submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. We have to see God for who he really is. That is why we need the word of God so much, my friend. Before I came on the air, I was thinking about Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5, one of my favorite two verses in the Bible. And um, I know it by heart. So I'm kind of turning to there, but I think I'll just stop. David says, sing praise to Yahweh, you his godly ones, and give thanks to his holy name. And here's the reason why. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Did you hear that, my friend? His anger is but for a moment. You know, in Hebrew, that, that word, but for a moment, literally means the blink of an eye. <laughs> that, that's how long God's anger lasts, for a blink of an eye. Just like that, it's over. But his favor lasts for a lifetime. He is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Would you say that with me, Heavenly Father? Would you say it with me, Heavenly Father? Thank you that you, you are slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. 
thank you that your anger lasts for a blink of an eye, but your favor lasts for a lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, how do you develop the love and the mercy of God? One day at a time. My friend, if you're like me, you're going to fail. I have to guard my heart every single day. I am very engaged with public policy. That is politics. That is how a nation is governed. And in our nation, we are in we are in a battle for the soul of our nation because wicked men and women who hate God and are concerned about dominating others put into place policies that ruin our nation. And it makes me furious because it's so unrighteous. But if I'm not careful, let's say I run into someone like that, how can I witness to that person if I am seething with anger towards that person? And so I can be angry about unrighteousness, but I can't let it control me. I have got to first and foremost move in love and mercy. Those people are deceived. Only Jesus can set them free, but he wants to set them free through me. How can I How can I be that way for him? How can I extend the love and the mercy of God to anybody that I come into contact with? Number one, I have to live a lifestyle of repentance, daily repentance. In the Lord's Prayer, what does he say? Give us this day our daily bread. So you see, the, the Lord's Prayer is a pattern of, of daily prayer. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I know for me, there's not many days that go by I don't need to repent of something, and maybe several times a day. But it's when I repent of my sin and receive forgiveness that I understand the love and the grace and the mercy of God, and therefore I can extend that same love and mercy to God to, from God to other people. The greatest mercy, the greatest expression of God's love and mercy, my friend, is to give you eternal life through Jesus Christ, who alone can forgive you of your sin. And he's offering that to you right now. If you will surrender your life to Jesus, he will forgive you and he will make you a brand new person. And all you have to do is say a simple prayer with me, but you must mean it in your heart. You must be willing to completely surrender your life to Jesus. And if you're willing to do that now, pray with me these words. Lord Jesus Christ, pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, I surrender my life to you. I need you to forgive me of my sin my guilt, and my shame. I need a brand new life that you are offering me. I need to know that the moment I die, 
I will go straight to be with you in heaven because of your mercy and love. And because you bore my sin on the cross. Thank you, Jesus, that you have heard my prayer. Thank you, Jesus, that you are now my Lord and my Savior. Now, friend, let me pray for you. Father, may the power of God come upon every man, woman, and child that just prayed that prayer. Transform them. Protect them from the powers of darkness, from the allurement of the world, and the pressure of, of, of man. Hide them in the shadow of your wings and keep them in the love of God forever and ever. I ask this in Jesus' name. And, and for the rest of you, may the Lord meet your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus, physically, emotionally, and financially. May he bring his answers to your cries. In the holy name of Jesus, amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for this outstanding message and time of ministry. Friends, Pastor Brad and his wife Maureen need a prayer team. Would you kindly consider praying for them on a daily basis? Thank you for your partnership. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please tell others about it. If you would like to partner with him financially, please go to his website at bradably.com. You can also check out his two devotionals and his commentaries on Amazon.com. Until next time, we pray that our Lord stir you daily to have a greater heart after Him in every way.